Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well this week and I hope you've been enjoying every single episode of season five. Once again, I know I say it all the time, but it's because I only speak to you on a weekly basis, so I have to. I can't believe we made it this far. And in order to celebrate this milestone, what better way than to have an amazing interview episode with the amazing Wendy, who puts in so much work and representation that is so needed at Mitu. And she also co-founded Fierce by Mitu. And I'm going to go ahead and turn the mic back to her. And I'm excited for all of us to just really dig deep and understand what has sparked Wendy's passions, what led her through higher education, and what put her to be in the position that she is in today, not only to showcase representation, but to really be the voice within her work to speak for so many of us, including myself, what we've always wanted to share and see. And Wendy, I'm just, I just, I need to pass it to you because I'm going to keep fangirling. And yes, so Wendy, go ahead. No, thank you so much, Estrellita, for that incredible introduction. Um, I appreciate all of your words and your kind thoughts, but I'm super excited to be here with you. I'm also a huge fan of your podcast and all of your work. Um, you have achieved so many milestones. I don't know how you do it, but again, I'm glad to be with you and to speak to, to your audience together. Of course. And once again, I don't know how you do it either, but it's okay because we are here and we are paving the way. So I really, as I shared, I really want to understand, Wendy, was desde chiquita, how do you feel like you've always had this drive within you? Because you do so much. Because I know I had mentioned that you co-founded co Fierce by Mitu, but throughout this year, you also had continued to put into work to have other platforms rise, such as Crema by Mitu and Things That Matter by Mitu, etc. So can you talk a little bit about your drive? Did you always have it desde chiquita? What, what, what motivates you to be who you are and what you do? Oh my goodness, that's a loaded question. Um, I would say it's a yes and a no answer. So looking back at who I was when I was a little girl and when I was younger, um, I think the answer would be no. For the most part, um, I've been very, very shy. I'm still very shy. And people, you know, when you say shy, people think like, oh, um, se está haciendo or why is she acting like that but shyness for me has been kind of like a social anxiety I've always been afraid of public speaking and being in front of the camera so I always um when I was younger just really kept to myself I had my core group of friends that was like two or three amiguitas and that was it um but again was never one to go in front of a crowd and really speak um but at the same time I would say my drive comes from seeing my parents and their hustle. Um, I'm a child of immigrants. My Both my parents are Mexican and I'm first gen. I'm also the oldest of five. And growing up, um, it wasn't always easy, especially with such a big family. And my dad at times worked three jobs to put us through school, you know, so many kids and you have to make sure that you're providing tuition and books and shoes for school and everything that we need. 
Um, so he had multiple jobs at times and it was really difficult. My mom, um, also Mexican, as I mentioned, she, um, there was a period where she was a stay at home mom, you know, and that's a whole full-time role in, uh, in and of itself, you know, cooking for us, making sure we had clean laundry and had everything at home that we needed while my dad was at work. And I remember growing up, my parents would tell us you have no obligations aside from going to school. That is the one thing that we ask of you. You don't have to do the dishes. You don't have to cook. You don't have to do laundry, which was great for us. I'm like, yes, I don't have to do the dishes, but that meant that we really had to focus on our homework and make sure that we tested well. They wanted us to take AP classes. Um, So for me, seeing this from my parents, their hustle, their drive, my dad would come home so tired, but would never complain um, because he knew, you know, he was providing for all of his kids. And so my mindset was always, I need to thank them and I need to do the one thing that they ask of me because they're not asking for much. My dad's outside working in the sun, se está partiendo las manos, his back hurts. So what is it, how hard is it to really, you know, pick up a book and study? So I really made it my mission um, when I was younger to make sure that I got accepted into a four-year school. Unfortunately, I didn't have the best grades. Um, wasn't always a straight-A student, but luckily I did get accepted to a Cal State here in California. Um, I went to Cal State Northridge. And that was kind of my entry point into the education system. That is wonderful. And oh my goodness, Wendy, you were the eldest. Okay, okay, let's take a step. Well, you are the eldest. What yeah. am I saying? But let's take two steps back. I, I Obviously, you are a humble, humble muhead and who recognizes the different challenges and sacrifices your parents made and you also made your challenges too. So even though you had shared that, okay, my parents did this, my parents did that, how hard is it for me to really pick up a book? What, With knowing all that you know and all that you experienced, did you feel any imposter syndrome or even a form of survivor's guilt when you did the transition from high school to a four-year university with no one to really look up to with in your family in regards to asking them, hey, how do I deal with this survivor's guilt? Because I'm here getting this degree, but I still have my loved ones working in these conditions, you know? Yeah. Oh, all the time. I think that I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, I remember going to college and thinking, you know, I'm sitting here in this classroom learning so much. I'm on my way to building my career and my dad is you know outside landscaping and it's 90 degrees you know he's on his knees working hard my mom also started cleaning houses at the time when when we got older um she became a nanny and so she was also you know doing that type of work and of course i always felt guilty um even when i started working you know part-time jobs i would sit i worked at dealerships and you always have to be dressed up And that was difficult. No one tells you how to navigate that stuff, those feelings. Um, And then eventually when I became a professional and I saw, you know, that I started earning more money than my dad, I'm like, oh my goodness, what do I need to do at this point? Do I need to give him everything that I'm earning? But I also need to make a living. But at this, it's just so many mixed feelings that you navigate. Um, And I think that's always going to be present 
for most of first generation students. Yeah. No, of course. And I appreciate you so much for sharing that because it it is a real challenge. And I feel, especially since the pandemic, it, their conversations have been happening more and more, which I think is really good. And when you were sitting in your classes and you were intaking this learning experience, how how was it for you in regards to also finding your path and deciding what you were going to stick to to study? Because let, uh, let me go ahead and just give you an example. Mm-hmm. When me and my eldest sister first started, because um, we both went to community college, because we didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> but we also, you know, we were making the thing happen. And one of the things we definitely heard was that our loved ones really wanted us to get into the STEM fields, but we literally had no idea what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So after a lot of trial and error, we found ourselves just choosing areas of studies that we knew and could feel we could succeed in based on the experiences we had gone to to that point. So with all that being said, when you were entering into these academic spaces, did you also enter having these super high expectations for yourself to get that quote unquote American dream career? Mm -hmm. And did that feel heavier to navigate? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I also had absolutely no idea. So I was on this track, right? I wanted to fulfill my parents' dreams and my dreams of being a first-generation Latina with a college degree. But once I was there, I was like, um, what am I going to do? And what do I do after? Um, So growing up before college, I had this dream of becoming a doctor. I loved science, loved biology. I was never grossed out by, you know, seeing blood or seeing organs or doing dissecting animals, any of that. Um, So I had my heart set on that until my abuelita one day said, Imija, ¿qué vas a hacer when your patient dies? And I had never thought of that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I never want to be responsible for somebody dying or I never want to be there if somebody passes away. You know, that's kind of on my hands. So that was like an eye-opening moment. And I was younger and I was like, no way, I'm not going to be a doctor. I don't want to live with that. So when I got to college, I still took a few biology classes. I was like, maybe there's something in between, not a doctor, but something else that I can do related to science. Took a few classes, wasn't interested anymore. Then at the time, I was super into, you know, fashion and style and all that fun stuff. And I was like, maybe I can be a fashion designer. Took a few classes. I was not into it. I bounced around from major to major so many times that my counselor had to sit me down and tell me, Wendy, if you don't pick a major, you're going to become a super duper senior. And I don't know what, what else to do with you. You're just paying tuition just to pay it. She's like, you need to pick a major now. Um, so I was always into reading newspapers um, and I like to write. So I was like, what if I pick journalism? So I went back to my counselor and I said, okay, I'm going to do journalism as my major. I want to do the newspaper track because again, shy girl over here doesn't want to be in front of the camera. So broadcast was out of the question. Didn't want to do magazine writing anymore um, because I don't know, it was just not my, not calling me at the time. Um, So I picked newspaper. I just wanted to write behind the computer. Didn't want to be in front of anyone. Um, And then I minored in Spanish language journalism, which um, 
was obviously in Spanish, but had a focus on Latin American um, issues. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I have to ask, so once you graduated, you did the thing, you have your amazing and prestigious degree in journalism as a first-generation Latina graduate, how did you navigate finding career roles to lead you to Mito? You know, Mito wasn't around, right, when you had graduated? Because when I found Mito, I was still in Santa Barbara. So that was 2018, 2017, but I think it was still fairly new. Yes. So when I graduated, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Again, um, I think I just look at what my parents' vision was for me in a way, and they were always watching Univision. So that to me was like it. I'm like, oh my gosh, if my parents can find me working at Univision, they're going to be so proud of me, and my whole family is going to be so excited. Um, so I was, I had my eyes set on Univision, but life didn't work out that way. Um, I started my career with odd jobs. I started copywriting for random little companies. I worked with a recruiter who would send me part-time jobs. Um, I bounced around quite a bit. And then eventually I ended up at an MSN affiliate called Wonderwall Latino. They were internet, they were entertainment based, excuse me. So they did a lot of really fun celebrity entertainment stories. Um, and I started out doing content for the Spanish website. So I brushed up all my Spanish writing skills. And then one day, um, the woman, the reporter who always used to do the really fun red carpet, um, interviews with celebrities got sick and we had a movie premiere lined up. And she was sick and she couldn't do it. And my boss comes up to me. She's like, Wendy, she's out. She's out sick. You're up. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? No, no, no way. No way. I'm not doing that. And she's like, no, we have, we don't have anyone else on the team. You have to do this. We already committed. We need the content for video. So you're going. She's like, don't worry. You got this. I'll practice with you tomorrow. And then at 4 PM, you'll drive over to Hollywood and you'll be fine. When I tell you I couldn't sleep, I could not sleep. Um, and the next day she went into a green room with me and she's like, okay, you hold the microphone like this. You say your intro. Hi, my name is Wendy Barba reporting from the red carpet and da, 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 movie. Yeah. She fed me my, my intro lines, but I was petrified. I was so shaky. I wanted to cry. I was like, what if I say I got in an accident on my way there? Like I was just trying to get out of it, but my boss told me, she's like, if you want to learn how to swim with the sharks, we just have to throw you in there. And she threw me in there and I survived my first red carpet interview. It was a lot of fun. Um, the footage wasn't horrible. It wasn't too embarrassing. And then from there, they kind of pushed me into doing more on camera interviews with celebrities, which was a lot of fun. But at the same time, um, there was something that really wasn't fulfilling me. I got to a point where I kind of hit a wall and I was like, you know, Ben Affleck is really fun to talk to. Um, I love JLo, but I want something more than just, you know, what these people are wearing on the red carpet and what movie they're working on. Um, so this website closed, they folded, um, and I got laid off and... I entered a little bit of a moment of panic. I was like, what am I going to do? But luckily I was living at home 
And my parents um, are wonderful and they weren't going to kick me out. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take my time and, you know, start my search. And whenever I'm ready to accept a role that I'm really happy and excited about, then I'll accept it. Um, and then this opportunity opened up called Me Too. I had no idea what it was. This was in 2015. Um, the website didn't exist. There was really no social media. So there was very little footprint. Um, but I landed an interview with their chief creative officer at the time, Marta E. Flores, who really built the vision along with the founder of Me Too, Beatriz Acevedo, who are both really strong, intelligent women. Um, so when I interviewed with them, they kind of explained what they wanted Me Too to become. At the time, it was just an MCN, which is a fancy way of saying that they were managing influencers on YouTube. Um, but they really wanted to move outside of that and build an O&O, a website where we were creating, um, writing our own stories from the first generation Latino perspective and telling the world what we were really like and not really leaving it up to the hands of the people, you know, in Hollywood to stereotype us. So they wanted to focus on editorial content, video content, and social. And that sounded super fulfilling to me. I was really excited. Um, these women, again, were just so driven, had a clear vision, and they were people that I really wanted to work with. So fortunately, I got the job. Um, and that was right, again, when Me Too was about to present itself to the internet outside of YouTube. Um, so I was one of the first editors to start working on the website and we started brainstorming. There was a lot of brainstorming involved, a lot of um, what kind of stories do we want to tell? What's our tone? What's our POV? What is the language that we want to use? Just brainstorm after brainstorm. Um, and we started creating content and it was so much fun. It's been so much fun since day one. And I appreciate you so much for sharing all of this. Now, taking a few steps back, you you mentioned something so interesting to me that I want to talk a little bit more about. You were once in a position, the dream position, right, to be able to interview individuals such as J-Lo and what they're wearing, how they feel about their whole movie role. And you grew up eldest daughter, navigating first-gen guilt, survivor's guilt, anything that you can imagine that so many of us experience. So with all that being said, would you say the experiences that little Wendy went through was exactly what sparked it inside you to be like, I love this job interviewing people, but we need more. You know, is it little Wendy that was able to push through and find out what was needed in regards to, you know, us everyday first-gen Latinas and that we see present on Me Too today. Yeah, I think so. And I never took that role for granted. It pushed me on a personal level more than I ever could have imagined. And I know that that position was also a dream position and still is for so many people. That's, you know, the Hollywood dream for so many people who study journalism, especially, you know, they want to make it into Hollywood. Um, so I was super appreciative of everything I learned and all of the opportunities, but yes, there was always something missing. And I just felt like I was always working for somebody else. And I still am. Um, but where I am now is fulfilling on a completely different level. We're creating content that's from our authentic voice. 
for our audience, for people who look exactly like us, for people who have similar experiences or for people who have different experiences, but really value what we have to say. Um, growing up, I, there was, there weren't a lot of outlets that really spoke to me. I remember there was Latina magazine and that was such an icon for me. I used to go to my tia's house who was a subscriber to the magazine and I couldn't wait to go into her room and flip through the pages because there was nothing else like it. So I always did feel like there was something missing. Like we needed more, something with more meaning, with more purpose to give back to other first gen like myself. No, of course. And again, we really appreciate this storytelling, especially with the lack of representation in so many spaces that just need the reassurance and knowing that, yes, we need more representation in all spaces. And what you're feeling inside of, we need more is important. So Wendy, if you don't mind, I do want to talk a little bit more about it. What does representation mean to you? I know I really highlight academia and higher ed with the first-gen experience, but I know representation is needed not just in academia, but also on social media, in spaces where you work at in the industries, in tech, etc. So yes, share, share your thoughts on that, please. Yeah, that's super important. For me, representation is not just like you said in academia. Um, it's representation across all types of identities. So I've worked with really incredibly intelligent people, successful people who didn't go to college. And sometimes college isn't accessible to everyone. So it's important for us to shed light on those stories, on those paths to you know, inform other people and let them know that they can also succeed. It's just a matter of being exposed to different tracks um, in life. So that for me, representation means, you know, different identities across different careers, different fields, also different backgrounds and identities. You know, we highlight LGBTQ for us. It's super important to highlight not just in June, but year round at Me Too, because this is, you know, part of our identities as well as part as being Latinx. And these are stories that aren't always being told that we aren't always aware of. Um, so representation for me goes across the board, not just school or career driven. No, of course. Do you ever get emotional when you think of literally representation? Sometimes I do. And I, that's when I go on my little healing car drives because I'll think back and be like, we were all here at one point and now we're here. And then I start to cry because I get so emotional because I know all of us in our own way are like, we're doing the thing, whatever that thing is. Yeah. All the time. I, I felt myself choking up and my, I heard my voice cracking a few times already. But yeah, we've been, I've gone to dinners with my family where we're celebrating my mom or my dad's birthday. And we're like, oh, that's tears to them. And I can't help but get emotional because I look back at how they started, how they got to this country. And they put three out of their five kids in college. The fourth is on his way. Um, and that's so difficult. And, you know, you and I were talking about, I don't know how you do what you do, Estrellita. You're getting, you know, all these accomplishments checked off your list. And you're like, Wendy, I don't know how you do what you do. But I look at my parents. I'm like, how did they do it? How did they stretch their dollars to feed five kids while working, you know, really difficult jobs? So, Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started because I will get emotional. It happens very, very often. 
No worries. I was starting to choke up myself too, but that's why I I just know these conversations are just so important, not only when we share our experiences on how we got to where we're at, but also, you know, little bits and pieces of the feelings, the the experiences that went along the way, especially those feelings and experiences that also, again, go back to the definition of what representation is. Now, I can really, we all know how how much representation means to you. Would you say that your love for it, your need for it is what launched these other platforms outside of Me Too, like Fierce, Crema, Things That Matter? Can you talk a little bit about that? And if I missed any, please feel free to just share it. We need to know. Yes. So a lot has been going on at Me Too since we launched the first Me Too brand. Since then, we are now five brands total. So we have Me Too, which everyone I think has come to know pretty well. We also have Somos Me Too, which is very similar to the original Me Too, but in Spanish, and it focuses more on Latin American audiences. So you get more of this South American, Caribbean flavors. Um, Again, really it takes into account all the different experiences um, that you get in Latin America. And then we launched Fierce in 2017, I believe. Um, that came as a direction of our founder, again, Beatriz Acevedo, during the time when the former uh, president was elected. And it wasn't the happiest of times for, for our community and there was a rise of women's movements and she looked and she said, Wendy, what do you think about creating a brand that's focused on empowering Latinas and showcasing all of the incredible stories that we, you know, write and focuses on our careers and our achievements. She's like, this is, this is going to be the biggest clapback to everything that people are saying of Latinas. And she's like, we'll call it fierce. And you do what you want with it. So she basically handed me the keys, uh, which was a little nerve-wracking, a lot of pressure because I looked up to her so much and I didn't want to let her down, but I appreciate that she empowered me to create Fierce. Um, So I really blueprinted what I wanted the brand to be. Um, But that was Fierce in 2017. And then most recently, we launched... Crema, which is our new music vertical. It's so much fun. I love all of the content that we're creating there. It really highlights um, up and coming Latino artists and established artists, all of the in-betweens um, and different genres that we don't always hear about. So that's such an exciting project for me right now. And then we also have Things That Matter, um, which actually was born toward the end of 2020 which was also a very difficult year for us. Um, We found ourselves reporting on hard news, not always, you know, fun memes and fun content, but we were publishing that content on the We Are Me Too page. So people were scrolling on their Me Too feed on Instagram and they would come across a meme and then they would come across heavy news. So our audience was kind of like, "Uh, what is going on? I'm here for the laughs. Why are you publishing hard news? But then Another part of the audience was holding us accountable and saying, our communities are being affected. Our communities are suffering right now. They're under attack. We need resources. We need information. So it was a mixed bag. And so we decided, why don't we separate the two? And we'll have a place for all of these 
really important resources to live under things that matter. And then we'll keep the memes on Me Too and all of the other laughs. So those are, I think I went on a tangent, but those are our, our brands at the moment. Um, but we're, the team is brilliant. The team that I work with is really, really smart. So much fun. There isn't a day where I don't laugh when I'm at work. Um, so I'm really thankful to have such a strong support system within um, our company and within the team that I work with directly. No, of course. And again, thank you. Thank you. And it's really wonderful to hear that you feel supported within your work, your line of work, because sometimes it really, not sometimes, a lot of the times, actually, it really goes back to if you have that support system somewhere, you know? So kind of going back, I do have a question that I'm curious about. You had shared that your parents were very supportive of you and your siblings, focusing on your studies, pursuing different different things that could fulfill you and just things like that. At that time growing up, did your parents do so, like affirmations provide those to all of you, even though we may not have even known they were called affirmations in the first place? Um, I, I never thought of it that way, but I think, yes, the answer is yes. I always remember growing up that, you know, even growing up in a Mexican household, I noticed how my dad never put the boys to one side and the girls to the other. I grew up loving sports because of my dad and he never once told me like, oh, vete a la cocina con tu mamá or you shouldn't be here. He would tell me like, hey, are you going to watch the Chivas game? Come and sit with me. Or he would, you know, put me as an equal to the rest of the guys. And I remember him telling me, the rest of the guys, my brothers, my boy, my boy cousins, whoever. Um, but I remember always telling me, you're just as capable as anyone else, whether this is a boy, a man, whether this is, you know, a white person or anyone else. Um, that's something that he always ingrained in me and my mom also. I don't think she ever doubted what we were capable of. She always pushed us. She always told us to shoot for more, always went to PTA meetings with us to make sure that we got into those AP classes, even when teachers were hesitant. So yeah, now that I look back, I'm like, yes, these were moments that of affirmation that my parents were sharing with us. Thank you again for sharing that because someone like you, Wendy, Latina, for everything, share the importance of affirmations because that's that's the other reason why I find myself doing the work that I do and I feel like you could relate. We just want our communities, our loved ones to feel together and feel united. And sometimes with all the mental health stigmas, machismo, and you know, just limiting beliefs, sometimes it tends to separate us, you know, like children of immigrants feeling separated from their elders, vice versa. So just hearing things like this, it's it's refreshing to know that when the change is implemented, if maybe your loved ones never tried affirmations or maybe you haven't, if you start to implement it, it can lead into a direction like this where we feel more happier and proud and fulfilled. You know what I mean? What are your totally. thoughts? Totally. Yes. And that's exactly why I see my line of work as something that's so important. I don't take it lightly. Yes, Me Too is about the laughs and the comedy, but at the same time, it's with purpose. The purpose is to unite our communities and to centralize us so that we can all have conversations, whether you know we're laughing together about 
the weird things that we used to do when we were little, you know, sticking our hands in frijoles to feel how, you know, that weird feeling. But again, it's a moment that unites us and we're like, oh, we're not alone. With fears, um, my number one objective was to build community and to build a, a safe space for Latinas and women of color to come together and to share these experiences and to ask questions. One of our content pillars was, um, one of our biggest content pillars is career and education because I believe that as a first-generation Latina, our parents weren't able to guide us and to tell us what direction to take after we graduated from college or even what major to choose. And a lot of times I heard you should be a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, which are all super important jobs and beautiful jobs. Um, but what about all the in-betweens? And we don't really know what other options there are out there because our parents don't know, because we don't have access to information. So on Fears, one of my favorite things to do is to highlight all of the in-between jobs and really cool roles that women of color are doing. You know, we're breaking records across different industries. There's, you know, young scientists who are discovering meteors and asteroids and stars, like at 11 years old, and they're Latinas. Like, we need to share these stories to celebrate all of our hard work, but also to share information and to share all these different opportunities that do exist um, and to hype each other up, hype each other up and let each other know that we're here to take up these different spaces. Of course. And thank you so much for sharing, Wendy. Sorry, manners are very important to me. That's why I naturally just say please and thank you, even in the classroom. <laughs> just, just my thing. So thank you for letting me be me. But now, yeah. Wendy, you're you're just wonderful and you're amazing. And I have to ask this, if you ever even experience it, because I know I do. With everything that you do, do you ever find yourself being hard on yourself because you feel like you should be doing more? And how do you navigate those feelings if you have them? Yes, there's a lot of imposter syndrome still going around. Um, a lot of guilt always going around. Um, what I can be doing more is also a thought that, you know, floats in my mind. Um, again, because I look at our community and how hardworking we are. And I'm like, my job is so easy in, you know, comparison to what other people are doing. Um I try to stay grounded with the team that I work with directly. Um, I just get grounded in looking at all of their achievements, looking at the achievements of our community. And I'm like driven by the idea that we are all on our own path, on our own timing. So that's something that I always have to, you know, kind of hone in on. Um, when I tell people that I've been at Mitu for seven years, I get these like, the facial reactions that I get are so mixed, but so prevalent because that's so unusual. And one time I was like, oh my goodness, did I make a mistake? Do I need to be elsewhere? Should I start applying for other jobs? Um, but somebody told me, you're on your own timing. You don't have to follow what everyone else is doing. You don't have to bounce around between jobs every two to three years. And that kind of grounded me and relaxed me a lot, actually. And it brought a lot of um, clarity to me. Of course. And you, it's okay. You don't have to switch so many jobs. I think we all love where you're at right now. I want to keep <laughs> seeing what you're doing. But of course, if it ever hits you one day that, oh, I want to do this, we will support you. Basically, you will always be supported. But I genuinely believe that you are where you are meant to be, Wendy, because 
with everything that you do and just seeing the growth, it's, it's crazy. Like you are where you're supposed to be, at least that I believe. And it's, it's very admirable, admirable to see someone like you in this type of position. And it's refreshing, you know? Thank you so much. I, that's another saying that I've also heard that has also really calmed me down from that angst um, that we're all where we're meant to be. Um, I've grown a lot. I've learned so much. I'm so thankful for the internal team and everybody that I work with. I've had incredible, really strong, powerful women leaders that I've taken on as my mentors. And now I lead a team um, of seven people and they're all a little younger than me. They keep me cool, but I'm also really excited to pass on the knowledge that I've learned and to empower them to also continue to grow. Thank you so much. Now, just a curious question, even though I've just been asking you a bunch of questions, what's your zodiac sign? Oh, always a fun question. I'm a Gemini and I know what people say about Gemini like, oh, you're two-faced. That's usually the response I get. But I say we're not two-faced, we're multi-dimensional, we're multifaceted. That is so fun. <laughs> Do you know your rising moon and stuff? I don't know mine. I'm a Capricorn, by the way. I know nothing. I just know that I'm a Gemini. I'm a Gemini. Um, my birthday is May 22nd. So I'm right at the cusp of uh, Taurus and Gemini. That's all I know. Don't ask me what my rising moon was, sun, wind, any of that. I have no idea what any of that means. <laughs> no, of course. And I was, as we were recording this episode, I kept thinking, Wendy's probably a Taurus, but okay, it makes sense. Like it makes sense how you just described it. So I love it now, my dear, because I want to make sure I honor your time. I honor the time of our amazing listeners. We are slowly coming to an end of this interview episode. But before we even get there, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else you would like to share, anything at all. We just really appreciate your time and your story. Yeah, no, thank you so much for your time and for having me here. I also want to give a big thank you to our community who supports us. We've been around since 2015. We've all been through really high highs and really low lows and mixed in-betweens. But I love the community that continues to support us, the community who leaves comments on all of our Instagram posts. People say that TikTok is the place to read the funniest comments, but I think it's on the Me Too brand because our audience will come in, they will leave clapbacks, they will roast those of us who are in videos, but it's so much fun. I'm like, yes, roast me. It's my love language. Um, people ask us what they, what content they want to see on our platform. They inspire us to tell different stories and everyone, um, for the most part has been very open about coming onto our platform to share their stories. And we super appreciate that because without, you know, everyone's individual stories, um, I don't think there, we would exist. So huge thank you to everyone who has supported us across our brands and throughout the years. Of course. Thank you so, so much, Wendy. And if people want to get in touch to find out more about any virtual or in-person events hosted by MeToo, et cetera, where can they find all of this info? Oh, great question. I'm so glad you asked that. So now that the pandemic is slowing down, I hope um, we are opening up our own events in our studio in Lincoln Heights, which is right outside of LA. So for anyone who is in the LA area, please 
keep tabs on our social media across different brands, especially on Instagram. Um, we will be having events pretty regularly. And these are events that are open to the community. Thank you so much, Wendy. And thank you so much, Mijente, for sticking through this episode. Cuídense y hablamos pronto. Adiós.